Sporting the Chid by Barrington J. Bailey. But look at him, he's such a mess, Brad protested. There wouldn't be any point in it. Ruger grunted, looking down at what remained of their comrade. It was a mess, all right. A sickening, bloody mess. The side cat they had been hunting had practically sliced Weasel to ribbons. The ruined body still retained a lot of blood, however, due to the heart having stopped at the outset, when the cat had ripped open the ribcage. For that reason, Ruger had supposed there was still hope. We can't stand here doing nothing, he said. He glanced up at the trail, along which the cat had fled under the hail of their gunfire. Weasel's own gun lay nearby, wrecked by the first blow of that animal's terrible bladed claws. It infuriated Roiger to think that the, best, the beast had bested them. He wondered why the toxic darks they had fired in its very thick dermis, and the poisons were spreading slowly. In that case, the cat's corpse should be found within not too great a distance. The brain isn't damaged, he observed stubbornly. Come on, do what I say, freeze him quick before it starts to generate. He was a broad-set man, with a rugged face. He spoke with traces of a chipped, hard-toned accent. Brand had never been able to identify. Brand hesitated, then submitted to the other's more positive personality. He moved closer to the dead weasel, nerving himself against the raw, nauseating smell of blood and flesh. Kneeling, he opened the medical kit and took out a blue cylinder. From the cylinder, there flowed a lavendery mist, which settled over the body and then seemed to fly into it, to be absorbed by it like water into a sponge. You can't freeze somebody without special equipment, he told Roiger. Frozen water crystallizes and ruptures all the body cells. His, this stuff will keep him fresh, but it's only good for about 12 hours. It holds the tissue in a gelatin suspension so the chemical processes don't take place. He's not frozen? No, Brad straightened. Uh, do you realise what this means? The nearest fully equipped hospital is six weeks away? Even then, I, I don't suppose the surgeons could do much. He'd be crippled for life, probably paralysed if he lived at all. Uh, maybe he wouldn't like that? Before replying, Ruger glanced at the sty, as if summoning up interstellar distances. <sighs> what about the Chid camp on the other side of the continent? You know their reputation. Brand snapped, shut the medical case with an angry gesture. Are you crazy? You know damn well we can't go missing with a chid. Shut up, and help me get him on the sledge. They tackled the unpleasant job in silence. It should have been the side cat the sledge was carrying. Very good thought. But he put down an urge to go after the animal and make sure it was dead. A more compelling urge had come over him, for he was a man who hated to admit defeat if there remained even a possibility of action, and Weasel had been a good comrade. The sled floated, a foot or two above the coarse, broad, bladed grass, that covered most of the planet's dry surface. As they trudged back to the ship, Roiger looked down at the sky again. The sun lay well below the horizon, but there was no such thing as real night. This was the N4 star cluster, where the suns were packed so thick as to turn every midnight into what would have been a mellow autumn, even on Earth. The multicoloured blaze never faded. It filled the sky, not only at night, but through the day augmenting the light of a somewhat pale sun. The cluster teemed, if such a vast region could be said to teem, with freelance prospectors looking for anything that by reason of rarity or novelty would command a high price back in civilization. 
exotic furs and hides of unknown gems, outlandish chemicals and minerals, drugs with unexpected properties. These days, rarities was the name of the game. If it was new, preferably unique, it had a use, then it was valuable. The fur of the scythe cat, for example, would grace the wardrobes of no more than a dozen exorbitantly wealthy women. Nor all the prospectors were human. The cluster had a few sentient races of its own, but it attracted the attentions of scores of others, lured by its wealth or else engaged on less identifiable business. As a rule, the various species prudently ignored one another. In practice, which, with which Riga would normally have concurred wholeheartedly, with some of the alien races known to mankind, so numerous that only the most cursory information had been made of most of them, one could communicate with ease, but with others one had to be more cautious. And there were yet others, with habits and attitudes so inexplicable by human standards that the central government had placed a strict prohibition on any kind of intercourse with them whatsoever. Such a species was the chip. Back at the ship, Roger took out the official government handbook on aliens. Like many others, the entry on the ship was subheaded. Absolutely no contact in any circumstances. The information offered supplied very little by way of explanation, but he carefully read such as there was, following the location of the Chid star and a description of the extent of Chid influence. The sociological information was scant, apparently depending on the word of some lone wolf explorer who had visited the home planet and later had volunteered an account of his experience to the Department of Alien Affairs. Roiger knew, however, that any subsequent encounters between the Chid and human had reinforced the impression of them as a wayward and difficult people. An extraordinary feature of the Chid, he read, is their aptitude for medical sciences. Among them, advanced surgery is a household skill. Even the most highly trained earth surgeon would find himself outclassed by the average Chid, who traditionally prides himself in his surgical ability, such as, such as a human will pride himself on being able to repair his own auto. That Chid's surgical skill is so universal that it's probably because it was the first technique to be developed on the Chid world, predating even the discovery of fire. Surgery's prominent place in Chid lore, even from primitive times, is attested by the following incident from the saga of the ancient champion Gathor. On finding himself trapped in a country surrounded by enemies, he ordered his followers to dissect him and smuggle him out in pieces, none of them larger than a single finger joint. After being reassembled, Gathor went on to free his people from slavery. The Chids have a love of sports and games and are addicted to gambling. Otherwise, there is little in the Chid mind that renders it suitable for human company. On the contrary, Chid mental processes are so foreign to human mentality as to present considerable danger. Anyone find himself in the presence of a Chid should on no attempt, account attempt to have dealings with it, since if he does, he will almost certainly misunderstand its intentions. Instead, he should at once remove himself from the vicinity of the Chid. Slowly, Roiger put away the handbook. Outside, he found Brand, sitting and gazing into the night sky. We'll go for the Chid, he said with finality. Brand said, you realise the risk we'll be taking? Roiger nodded. Intercourse with prohibited aliens, a 20,000 labour credit fine, or five years in a work prison, or both. The government took so much, such matters seriously. I was thinking less of that, Brun said, than on the chit themselves. Those laws are for own protection. Maybe we'll be getting to something we can't get out of. Roger's voice was blunt and obstinate. My ancestors were Boers, 
he said. They were people who learned to hang on to life, no matter what it costs. That's my outlook too. Chances are worth taking, whether it's a matter of life or living. He looks, he looks at last round the clearing, feeling a lingering regret that he had not found time to go after the side cat. No sense in hanging out here. Let's get moving. The way I see it, Riga said, as they flew over the tawny-coloured continent, creatures with such a knowledge of surgery can't be all that bad. They can mend the sick and injured. It's, it's not something I find incomprehensible. Maybe the government's too quick to write on the no-go sign. Bran didn't answer. Soon, the chid camp came into sight. It was on the edge of a level plain, perched near a 200-foot cliff that fell away to sharp rocks and a boiling sea. It had only three or four features, and a pentagonal hut that seemed to be roofed with local ferns. The chid ship, which resembled nothing so more as an earth street tram, and a small, dark wood, which occupied an oval-shaped depression in the ground. Roiger did not think the wood was indigenous. Probably, he thought, the chit had set it up as a garden or park, using plants and trees from their own world. They sat down on what could roughly be interpreted as the perimeter of the camp. For some time, they sat together in a control cabin, saying nothing, watching the site's review screens. At first, there was no sign of life. About half an hour, two tall chid emerged from the, hut, from the hut and strolled to the wood, with not a single glance at the airship nearby. Anxiously, Roger and Brand watched. At length, the chid reappeared, brushed aside foliage, and coming into the light of day from the dark depths of the wood, unconcernedly, they ambled back to the fern-covered hut. Seems they spend their time in the hut, not in the ship, Brand observed. Unless there are more of them in the ship? That's not very big. I can carry that many. Yeah, that's right. Ruga gnawed his muscles. They're ignoring us. Wise of them. We'd do the same if they landed near us. We might even move away. They haven't done that yet. Well, first, the first moves up to us. Ruga rose and looked at Brand. Both men felt nervous. They make a sick ache in their stomachs. Let's go out there and see what they'll do for us. They bolstered, with, they bolstered their sidearms inside their shirts, so that to the outward appearance they were unarmed. Weasel's jellified body still lay on the sledge. They eased it out of the port and set off across a short stretch of savannah like grass to the chid hut. From outside the hut looked primitive, and could as well be erected by savages. They stopped a few feet from the door, which, like the walls, was made of a frame of branches from a local tree, interwoven with ferns. They decided it was probably an advantage that they would have to converse by means of gestures. When only the simplest and most obvious wants could be made known, there was less room for misunderstanding. He hooked his thumbs in his belt and called out, Hello! Hello! Again. Hello! We're Earthmen! The door opened, swinging inwards. The interior was dim. Roger hesitated, then his throat, then... His throat dry, he stepped inside, followed by Brand, who guided the sled before him. We're Earthmen, he repeated, feeling slightly ridiculous. We have trouble. We need your help. Anything else he might have said was cut off, as he absorbed the scene within. The two Ched he had seen earlier swiveled, their eyes to look at him. One lolled on a couch, but it had been in such a manner as to seem, seem like a corpse that had been carelessly thrown there 
limbs flung apart in disarray, head hanging down and almost touching the beaten earth floor. The other was leaning forward, half upright, dangling limply from a double sling into which his arms were thrust, and which he was suspended from the roof rafters. His head lolled forward, his legs trailed behind him. Both postures were bizarrely uncomfortable. Roiger supposed, however, that the chit was simply relaxing. Somewhat larger of a frame than a human, they had a lank, loose appearance about them. Their skin was grey, with undertones of green and buff orange. For clothing, they wore a simple garment that consisted of short trousers combined with a bib held in place by straps going over the shoulders. As with many androform species, their non-human faces were apt to seem caricatures of a particular human expression. In the chid instance, an idiotic, chuckling gormlessness. It was important, Regan knew, not to be influenced by this doubtlessly totally wrong impression. Unrecognisable utensils lay scattered and jumbled around the floor, and Roiger's gaze went to the rest of the hut. He shuddered. The walls resembled the racks of some prehistoric butcher shop, hung with pieces of raw flesh, limbs, entrails, various internal organs, and other organic components and substances he could not identify, from a variety of creatures unknown to him. The chid clearly had botanical interest too. Items of vegetable origin accompanied the purely animal ones, plants, tree branches, cuttings, fruits, strips of fibre and so forth. A moist, slightly rotten smell hung in the air, though whether from the grisly array or from the chid themselves, he could not say. Unable to find a clear space in the floor, Brand left the sled floating. Roiger pointed to the body. He hoped the purpose of the visit was self-evident. This is our comrade. He's been badly injured. We came to ask if you can heal him. The chid were, in, the chid in the sling swayed slightly from side to side. We 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 he said, or oh, that was what it sounded like to Ruger. But then he broke off, and to the Earthman's great surprise, spoke in almost perfect English. Visitors come to us off the vast plain. You are here to sport with us, perhaps. We, we came to ask for your help, Rieger explained. Again, he pointed the sled. Our friend was attacked by a side cat, a dangerous animal that's found on this continent. Uh, for the time being, we suspended his organic processes uh, with a gelatin solution, Brand interrupted. Uh, but when it wears off, he'll, he'll be dead unless the damage can be made good first. <laughs> the chid are famed for their surgical skills, Ruger added. The chid withdrew his arms from the sling and approached the sled with an ambling gait, kicking aside metal artifacts that lay on the floor. Automatically, Roiger drew back. The strangeness of the scene made him fearful. It was hard to believe that these people were as advanced as they were supposed to be. Bending over the sled, the chid prodded Weasel's inert form with a long finger. He chortled, a brass sound like a brain cornet. Can you help him? Roiger inquired. Oh yes, quite easily. Simple slicing, nerves, muscles, blood vessels, lymph channeling, skin. You won't even know where the joints are. A feeling of relief flooded over the two men. Then you'll operate? Roiger pressed. Straightening, the chid looked directly at him. His eyes, now that Roiger saw them close, were horrible, like boiled eggs. I have heard it said that earthmen can leave their bodies and move about without them. Is it true? No, said Roiger, looking about him a moment to realise what the chid was talking about. 
You mean their souls? Their souls can leave their bodies. <laughs> it's not true, though. It's, it's only religious belief. You know what a religion is, just a story. Oh, how wonderful to be able to move one's body and to leave one's body and move without it. The chid seemed to reflect. Are you here for sport? He asked suddenly. Do you like races? We are only interested in helping our friends get better. Oh, but you should game with us. After our friend is better, Riga said slowly. We'll, we'll, we'll do anything you like. Excellent, excellent. The chid chortled again, much louder than before. A shrill and unnerving sound. Can we rely on you? Roger pressed. How long will it take? Not long, not long. Leave him with us. Uh, may we stay and watch? No, no. The chit seemed indignant. It is not seemly. You are our guests. Depart. All right, said Ruger. When shall we come back? We will send him out when he is ready. Tomorrow morning, perhaps. Good. Roger stood uncertainly. He was eager to get out of the hut, but somehow reluctant to leave. The chids on the couch had completely ignored them, apart from one glance when they first entered. He, he still lay motionless, as if dead. Until tomorrow, then. Until tomorrow. They withdrew, stiffly and awkwardly. To human sensibilities, the chids seemed to lack stability. Roger decided. They gave a neurotic, erratic, disconcerting impression. But it was probably a false impression, like that given by their idiot faces. Back in the ship, Roger said, "Well, so far as it all went, so far as it all, so far as it went all right. If the chid keeps his promise, we'll we'll have nothing to worry about." But there's talk about sports and games," Bran said anxiously. "What do they expect of us?" "Never mind about that. As soon as we get Weasel back and he's all right, we'll we'll simply take off." We'll owe them. They might try to stop us. We've got guns. Yeah, you know, I guess we're all right. But but what about Weasel? That hut doesn't look like an operating theatre to me. Somehow I find it hard to believe they can do anything. They don't work the way we do, but everybody knows they can accomplish miracles. Almost. You'll see. Anyway, it gives Weasel a chance. He didn't have one before. They fell silent. After a while, Roy got between restless. And crossing the continent, they had backtracked on the sun. Now it was evening again, and they were about eight hours to wait until dawn. Roy didn't feel like sleeping. He suggested they take a walk. After some hesitation, Brand agreed. Once outside, once outside, they strolled towards the Chid's wood. Both of them curious to see what lay inside it. They skirted the depression where it grew, aware that the Chid could be watching and it might not like strangers entering the private garden, if such it was. There was little doubt that the wood was alien to the planet. It was quite unlike the open bush that covered most of the continent. Local flora and fauna were characterised by a quality of brashnessness, and their colours were light, all tawny and orange, and yellow. But this seemed dark and oppressive, huddled in on itself, and unnaturally silent. The bark of the trees was slick, olive green in colour, and glistened, while the foliage was almost black. Out of sight of the chid hut, Roger parted some shoulder-high vegetation that screened the interior of the wood from view and, slept between the, and, and stepped between the slender tree trunks. Quietly and cautiously, they sauntered a few yards into the wood. The light was suffused and dim, filtered through the tree cover, tree cover that seemed to press in overhead 
shall create a totally enclosed little environment. Though fairly closely packed, the interior was less dense than the perimeter, which Roiger began to think of as a barrier or skin. There was the same moist, rotting odour he had noticed in the chid hut. The air was humid and surprisingly hot. Presumably the wood trapped heat in some way, or else was warmed artificially. The ground, sloping down towards the centre, was carpeted with a kind of moss or slime, which felt unpleasant on the foot. Roiger was struck by the dead hush of the place. Not a leaf form moved. There was not the merest breath of breeze. They crept on, descending the slope into the depths of the wood, and before long began to notice the change in the nature of the vegetation. Besides the slender trees, other, less familiar plants flourished. Luxurious growths with broad drooping leaves that dripped a yellow syrup, python-like creepers that intertwined with the upper tree branches and pulsed slightly, bilious parasites like clusters of giant grapes or cancerous encrustances that clung and tumbled down the squamous trunks, sometimes engulfing entire trees. The wood was coming more to resemble a lush, miniature alien jungle. Also, it was no longer still. There were sounds in it. Not the rustle of leaves or the sigh of branches, but obscene little slurping and lapping sounds. Roiger stopped, startled, as the scum carpet suddenly surged into motion just ahead of him. From it, there emerged what looked like a pinkish-grey tangle of entrails, which swarmed quickly up the nearby tree and began to wrestle with the parasitic growth hanging there. The parasite apparently had a jellied consistency. The two shook and shivered like a horrid jelly. Look, Brand whispered. Roger followed his gaze. A small creature was creeping through some undergrowth that sprouted near the base of the tree. It looked for all the world like an uncovered brain of a medium-sized mammal, such as a dog or tiger, complete with trailing spinal stem. They watched it until it disappeared from sight. A few years farther, further on, they came to a clearing. It was occupied by a single tree. Not one of the trees that made up the bulk of the wood, but a fat, pear-shaped trunk that contracted rhythmically like a beating heart. It was surmounted by a crown <clears throat> from, which spread of mesh, from which spread a mesh of fine twigs. As they entered the clearing, this mesh suddenly released a spray of red droplets onto them. Quickly, they moved away. Roiger examined the drops that had fallen on his tunic, head and hands. The liquid was sticky, like blood or bile. Distastefully, they wiped the stuff off their exposed skin. I've seen enough, said Brand. Let's get out. Wait, Kruger insisted. We might as well go all the way. They were approaching the bottom of the wood now and Roiger guessed there might be something special there. The rich, fetid smell was becoming so strong that both men nearly gagged. But a few yards further on, they broke through the thicket of clammy, feeling tendrils, and there it was. The surrounding trees leaned over it protectively, spreading their branches to form a complete canopy above the little lake of blood. Roiger was sure the stuff was blood. It looked like it, and smelled like it, there was not quite the same smell as human blood. Dozens of small creatures were, were gathered on the shores of the, of the pool to drink. Segmented creatures the size of lobsters, creatures like the brain animal they had seen already, creatures that consisted of clusters of tubes resembling assemblies of veins and arteries. The forest, too, 
put out hoses of his own into the pool, snaking them down from the trees and across the bushes. Roiger and Bran stared in fascination. Was this, Ruger wondered, the pleasant little paradise to the chid mine? He took his eyes from the gleaming crimson surface of the lake. The wood, with its covering of slime, its slick trees, its gibbous growths and pulsating python pipes that seemed neither animal nor vegetable, no longer to him looked like a wood in the earthly sense. Its totally enclosed, self-absorbed nature put him in mind of what might be like inside his own body. He grunted and nudged Brand. Let's go. Slowly, they made their way up the bowl-shaped slope towards the open starlight. Minutes after they returned to the ship, the first of the chid gifts arrived. They did not know at the time that it was meant to be a gift, and if they had known, they still wouldn't have known what they were supposed to do with it. It was an animal that came bounding from the chid hut to prance about in front of the Earthman's ship. It was vaguely dog-like and about the size of a Great Dane, with hairless yellow skin. Roiger focused the external scanner on it, magnifying the image. There were slits in the animal's body. As it moved, these opened, returning, revealing its internal organs. Brand was nauseated. He turned away. For a while, the creature snuffled about the ship's port and leaped this way and that. It didn't see this beast in the, I didn't see this beast in the chid hut. Brand remarked. Perhaps they made it. Roiger watched until the animal apparently wearied of what it was doing and looped back the way it had come, disappearing inside the hut. I'm tired, Roiger said. I'd like to get some sleep. Okay. But Brand himself could not sleep. He felt restless and uneasy. Nervously, he settled down with a full percolator of coffee and kept his eye on the external viewer. From time to time, other animals left the hut and approached the ship. None were particularly alien-looking, except that was that they were all apt to expose their innards to view as they moved. One vaguely resembled a pig, another a hairless llama, another a kangaroo. Were they all perhaps one animal, made over and over from the same bits and pieces? The chid had better not fix Weasel up that way, Brand thought aggressively. He wondered if he and Roger were expected to respond to these sorties. But when one didn't know, it was safer to do nothing. Steadily, the stars, illuminating the landscape with, shadow the landscape with shadowless light, moved across the sky. A short time after the pale sun had risen, Roiger came stumbling back into the room. Anything happen? Brand gave him some coffee and told him about the animals. Roiger sat down, staring at the view screen and sipping from his cup. By now, Brand felt tired himself but his nervousness had not decreased. You think it'll be all right? He asked Brand anxiously. Sure, it'll be all right, Roiger said gruffly. Don't be put off by that wood. Probably the whole chid planet is like that. It was the first time either of them had mentioned the wood. Listen, Brand said. I've been thinking about those animals they keep sending. Roiger gave a shout. Roiger gave a shout. On the screen, Weasel had appeared in the open door of the chid hut. He stood there, uncertainly, and then took a step forward. There he is! Ruger crowed. They've delivered the goods! He jumped to his feet and swept from the room. Brand followed him down the port, down to the port, and out onto the coarse grass. Weasel was walking towards them. But it was not his usual walk. 
He plodded rather than strode, moving suddenly and awkwardly, his arm hanging loose, his face slack. Nevertheless, they both looked out to meet him, and then as they came closer, the grin on Roger's face froze. Weasel's eye sockets were empty. The eyelids framed nothing. Even the orbital bones had been removed. And Bran now realised his eyeless weasel wasn't even walking towards a ship. He was making for the cliff a short distance away. Weasel! he called softly. And then something else caught his attention. Crawling some yards behind Weasel, there came a rounded, greyish object, no larger than his boot. The thing had a wrinkled, convulsed surface, with a deep crevice running down its back, glistening as if encased in a transparent jelly. The creature moved after the manner of a snail, on a single splayed podium. It followed after Weasel with every appearance of effort, just managing to keep up with his erratic pace. Brandon Roiger watched the procession dumbly. The crawling creature's front end supported a pair of white balls, their whiteness broken by neat circles of colour. These white balls were obviously human eyes, the same eyes that were missing from Weasel's eye sockets. The grey mass, however improbable it seemed logically, was without doubt Weasel's own brain, alive but without a body, given its own means of locomotion. Suddenly, the desiccated body stumbled and fell. The brain seemed avid for the body, but before the body could rise, it had caught up with it and clambered onto a leg. When the body started to walk again, the brain clung to it like a leech and began to climb. The body lurched towards the cliff. The brain ascended painfully. Its rate of progress was impressive. It negotiated the hip, climbed up the back, and reached a shoulder momentarily perching there. Then, as if hinged somehow, the back of Weasel's head opened the two halves coming apart and revealing the empty cavern. Into this empty skull, the brain nosed its way like a hermit crab, edging into a discarded shell of fat grey rats disappearing down a hole, and the head closed up behind it. Weasel's body abruptly stopped walking. A shudder passed through it, then it stood motionless, facing the sea. Brandon and Roiger glanced at one another. Christ, Roiger said hoarsely. What shall we do? Gingerly, continuing to glance at one another for support, they approached Weasel. The Weasel's eyes were now in, now in place and peered from their sockets, somewhat bloodshot. He might have been taken for normal, except that he seemed very, very dazed. Angrily, Roiger unholstered his pistol and glanced, glanced towards the crutched hut. Those alien bastards aren't getting away with this, he said. They're going to put this right. Wait a minute said Brand, holding up his hand. He turned to Weasel. Weasel, he said quietly, can you hear me? Weasel blinked. Sure, he said. How long have you been unconscious? No answer. Can you move? Sure. Weasel turned around and took a step towards them. Roiger stumbled back, feeling that he was in the presence of something un unclean. Brand, however, stood his ground. Can you make it back to the ship? He asked. I think so. Then let's walk. Stepping, more naturally than before, Weasel accompanied Brand. Slowly, they walked towards the gleaming shape of the starship. Roiger glowered again at the chid hut. Then, holstering his pistol, he followed. Inside, they sat Weasel down in the living quarters. He sat passively, 
not volunteering anything and not looking at anything in particular brand swallowed do you remember being out of your body he asked yes what was it like weasel answered in a dumb monotone was it right is that all you can say about it weasel was silent would you like to do anything drink anything i know you do recognize us don't you sure i do Brand looked worriedly at Roiger, then tossed his head, indicating the door. Leaving Weasel, they withdrew to the control cabin. I don't know, Brand said. Perhaps he's going to be all right? All right! Roiger was incredulous, his, f- his face red with anger. Christ! Just look what happened to him! He's dazed right now, but his brain has already knitted itself to the body. It's in complete control. Did you notice? No scar, no seam? Fantastic! It's hideous! Grotesque! Perverted! Roiger slumped. I, I, I don't get you. You're actually taking it within your stride. We were warned about the chit, Brand pointed out. Their ways aren't our ways. Perhaps to them this sort of thing is some little joke without malicious intent. And, and after all, Weasel isn't one piece now. He's whole, mended. Roiger sighed. He seemed defeated. If you say so. Me, I, I can't believe what I've seen. It's, it's not possible. You mean you can't accept that a brain could lead a freelance existence outside of its body? Roger knowledge nodded. That isn't really so very extraordinary. I've seen a brain kept alive in a hospital at Mer, in a glass tank. Yes, but that's in hospital conditions, with every kind of backup here. Here, Brand smiled crookedly. It's done by two aliens in a straw hut, surrounded by dirt and garbage, and the brain actually crawls about. That's what gets me. Maybe it isn't Weasel's brain at all. Maybe they're cheered tricking us. I think it's Weasel all right. And I think they've got to accept the strangers of it. The chid don't need a hospital or sterile conditions because they've solved all kinds of technical problems we haven't. As for a brain that can move, a few simple muscles, an arrangement to keep it oxygenated, it's probably not as hard as it sounds once you're crazy enough to, to want to do it. He paused reflexively. You know... I don't think the Chid view the body as, as an unit in the same way we do. That wood we went into, I've got the idea there were brains, stomachs, digestive systems, all kinds of parts moving about on their own, as if the Chid like giving bodily organs autonomy. Part animals, Roiger grunted. Sick, isn't it? To us it is. There was a long silence behind them, between them. Finally, Ruger said, Well, what do we do? Our safest move would probably be to take off right away, but I think we ought to wait to see if Weasel improves. He's probably suffering from post-operative shock. What I'm hoping is that he wasn't really conscious while he was out of his body. Try to imagine that. I absolutely won't hear about taking off until he shows sign of recovery. We shouldn't leave it too late. It won't be long before the Chid come to collect their side of the bargain. After all, they have saved his life. Our own people can probably deal with any future problems. Oh no. Roger tapped his gun. If the chid have done us wrong, they're going to be taken care of. Let's hope we can take off by sunset, Bran said. That afternoon, Weasel came out of his skull again. It happened right in front of Brand, who'd been sitting with Weasel to keep an eye on him. Weasel had spent most of his time staring placidly at the wall, and neither of them had spoken all afternoon. Then his head opened, but the front end this time, and without any warning, his face split down the front. 
Within, the brain was revealed like a lurking animal, eyes attached, still with its protective coating of gelatinous substance. Without delay, its podium got a grip of Riesel's chin and began to clamber out, clamber out, dripping in a pale pink fluid. Roiger came at a run as Brand yelled. As he entered the room, the brain seemed to have realised for the first time that it was being observed. Its eyes swivelled. It backtraced, re retreating guiltily into, one of, into its bone cave. The face closed up. The eyes disappeared momentarily, then jogged themselves into their sockets. Weasel resumed staring woodenly at the wall, ignoring his two erstwhile friends. There was not the slightest trace of a join where his face had opened. Brand stood stupefied. Well, Roiger grasped, you still think he's all right? He went to the arms cupboard and got two dart rifles. We're paying a second visit, he said curtly, handing a rifle to Brand. This time, we'll stay and watch the operation. Let's see how tricky those aliens are at the point of a gun. Brand followed blindly. Weasel, too, seemed to have no will or to resist or argue. When ordered to do so, he went with the rest of them out of the ship and walked across the grass to the Chid hut. As soon as they reached it, Roger kicked open the door and barged in. The smell of rottenness invaded their nostrils. The interior was exactly as they had first seen it. One Chid lay sprawled on a couch, while the other lolled in a double sling. Only the latter reacted to the intrusion, raising his head to peer at Roiger. Our friends have returned, he chortled. They have arrived to give us our promised sport. The chid on the couch replied with the slightest trace of acid-sounding accent. Yes, he said, but it was not polite of them to spurn our part parts offering. Brand and Weasel entered behind Roiger. Roiger spoke thickly, holding his rifle at the ready. You have misused our friend terribly. His brain is not fixed in his body. The chid returned his, eye, his eyes to the roof. Ah, to be able to leave one's body. It is every earthman's desire. That is what I learn in earth religion. You don't understand. Roiger broke off as the chid disentangled himself from the slings. The chid's big frame seemed awkward, yet somehow commanding in the cramped, confining hut. He reached out to unhook, unhook what looked like a gulfer carry case, complete with a shoulder strap from the wall. The case contained numerous metal, metal tools, many of which bore gleaming blades. With a snake-like motion, the second chid came off the couch and stretched himself. Shall we take umbrage at their breach in good manners? No, we must make allowance for their alienness. That said, we must of course recompense ourselves for the insult. Shall we arrange a brain race? It would do our guests no harm and provide us with welcome sport. How will you wager? I bet this one wins, the second chid said, pointing to Roiger. The other laughed. I bet them neither will make it. An urgent feeling of danger seized Roiger. He tried to speak, but could not. He tried to shoot the nearest chid with his rifle, but could not. He was completely immobilised. The two chids towered over him inspecting him with their boiled egg eyes. Their exchange continued, apparently with a discussion of stakes and odds. Then they reached for their surgical tools. What happened next was of such a nature that Roiger's mind was unable to apply any appropriate feelings to it. At first, it was like being a babe in the hands of ultimately powerful adults, and the strangeness of it made his, all his perceptions hazy. He felt no pain, 
not even when the chid, using a scalpel, cut his skull and face down the middle by setting his nose in the process, and prized apart the two halves. The minute his brain was levered out of place, however, he immediately ceased to feel that he was a human being possessed of arms, legs, or a torso. Eyes, still functioning, he emerged from the sawn open skull as a different creature altogether. He was a rounded, grey lump, a cleft down his back, a sort of armadillo's tail at his rear. After that, there was a short period of unconsciousness. When Roger came round again, his transformation was complete. It was a little like being a snail. He could move about on the podium on which he squatted, and he was covered with a gelatinous layer which protected his vulnerable tissue. And he could see. But he could not, of course, hear, or feel, or smell. The podium did, however, support the other small organs which comprised a partial life support. He could breathe and, after a fashion, feed, though on somewhat specialised food. He had been put down outside the chid hut, amidst the coarse, broad-bladed grass. Not far from him, he saw another part animal like himself. He knew it was Brand. And ahead, already striding away towards the cliff's edge, by means of vestigial motor functions, were two human bodies. One was Brand's, the other was his. Roiger experienced a terrible hunger for the body that went walking away from him. He knew that he could possess it again, but to do so he must catch up with it before it fell over the cliff, and so he set off, sliding over the uneven ground with all his puny strength. This, he realised, was the Chid's brain race. The Chid had placed bets on whether he or Brand, who also was straining not far away, would recover his body first. Already Roiger knew he was gaining on his body. If it should fall but once, he told himself, he would be able to catch it. But the minutes passed, and the body did not fall. Instead, Roiger himself became entangled in a clump of grass, and by the time he had freed himself, it was far too late. Desperately, he lunged forward, and only to see his body, striated by braids of glass, walk straight over the edge of the cliff, to fall on the rocks and the sea below. It was gone. His body was gone. Numb with failure, Roiger turned around. The brand body too had disappeared, and of the brand brain there was no sign. He made out of the chid hut. Near it was Weasel, standing casually, his brain out of his skull again, and clinging to the side of his neck like an enormous slug. Beyond that, he dimly saw the spid sh chid spaceship, not far from the little wood. He saw his own spaceship too, but that was of no use to him now. Roiger's gaze settled on the woods, the dark patch, the motionless corpse was like an island amid the tawny bush, 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 bush. Curious, he was already forgetting what it was like to have a body. The burning hunger faded. His humanity receded from him as if he had lost it, not minutes ago, but decades ago. And the little wood was no longer gruesome or grotesque. It was a lush, gentle, sheltering place to part animals like himself. It protected and nurtured them. In the woods, he could live after a fashion. And life, he remembered dimly, was worth hanging on to without any cost. The sun and the stars were burning down on him. He was naked and helpless here in the open. He could not live there. Steadily, pushing his way through the stiff grass, thinking of the welcoming pool of blood and the enclosing black foliage of the pulsating warmth, 
equals towards the still dark hollow.